welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. And today, we got a Q&A. Got a lot of good questions lately. Yeah, we got a lot of good ones. So uh, drop us another question if you have already asked one or you want to ask your question. In the link below. Yes. So if you are a returning listener, thank you for being here. And if you love these Q&As, you should try them out. We can answer your questions too. <laughs> so click the link that says ask us a question or something like that. And uh, it'll take you to a form. You don't even have to put your name if you don't want to. Uh, but name question submit we will answer it on the podcast as detailed as you want to get if you are new here that is how we do things we answer your questions in as much uh detail as possible to help you as much as possible this is as close as you are going to get to free coaching if you really think about it yeah you know what i mean like i mean it really really is um part of the reason the selfish reasons i love podcasting and i started loving podcasts when i got into it was because i used to pay experienced coaches and business owners all the time for just an hour of their time. I just pay them money and sit on a Skype with them and just at, pick their brain for an hour. And now for podcasting, it's like a normal thing. I can just reach out to somebody I would really like to pick their brain. I could be like, Hey, do you want to be on the podcast? And they're like, of course, because yeah. that's marketing for them. Yeah. So, um, likewise, you guys get to do the same thing. If there's something on your mind, if you would love to ask me something, um, ask away. And, uh, every time I see any Anyone in person when we do events, when I'm speaking at an event or I post on my story, I get tons of questions. So I know you guys have questions out there. Um, ask them here. We would love to answer them. Um, and to add to that, before we get into the podcast, if a question isn't enough and you need direct coaching, as always, you can head over to tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash online dash coaching and apply for a free strategy call. And we will talk to you about how our coaching, our tailored coaching method is right for you and will help you get you where you want to be. If you just want to go check out free content, we have an unbelievable catalog. Uh, catalog of it. It's overwhelming how much content we have. So that is at tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash blog. And then the free downloads are at slash guide. So without any further ado. Let's get into it. All right. We are going to start today off with one that's coming from Samantha. It says, can you talk about metabolic adaptation and obese, obese clients? I know metabolic adaptation and reverse dieting has become a hot topic. As a new coach, there are times I'm confused about what's the best approach for my clients when getting started. For example, I have obese clients coming to me with lots of dieting history and reporting low calorie intake. But do you think this is more of a matter of under reporting and it's safe to take them right into a fat loss phase? I've heard recently that it's less likely that metabolic adaptation is occurring in those with lots of weights to still lose. Do you have any thoughts on this situation? It's a really good question. Um, so, I have a few thoughts. I mean, first, I know I do this quite often, and I just told you to go to the blog, uh, but we do have a, quite a few pieces of content on the blog that would help a ton. So we have the uh, tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash reverse dieting. I think it's reverse dash dieting or something like that, but just go to the blog, type in reverse dieting. Um, it'll pop up. It's called reverse dieting 101, and I dive deep into the practical application of reverse dieting, the what, why, how. Um, and then Brandon, Dr. Brandon Roberts, our chief science officer on the staff, he actually created what we call the either the ultimate or the definitive. It's hard when you're naming these blogs, all these different things. Um, guide to metabolic adaptation. 
So he really went uh, deep into the science. So if you really want to know what metabolic adaptation is and what the research claims around it and what we know based on the science, that is a blog for you. Um, I would recommend reading both of them if you're coaching people and reverse dieting is coming up though in your coaching experience, which most likely it is. Uh, but nonetheless, my, my thoughts in general are similar to what you kind of alluded to at the end. I do think that the vast majority of the time, this uh, claim of metabolic adaptation occurring with these individuals is just not the case. Uh, and the reason is because, I mean, to be honest, it's pretty simple. If you look at somebody and they have, if they're obese, they have probably 50 plus pounds to lose. If somebody has 50 plus pounds to lose, they are not in a deficit, period, plain and simple. So um, does that mean metabolic adaptation cannot occur if you were still overweight? No, not at all, because metabolic adaptation isn't like a, it's not a disease. People, I think that's that was a problem. Like people framed it in ways where it was like, oh my God, you have the metabolic adaptation. Like it was like this illness. It's not. Metabolic adaptation is a process. So it is happening to you as you diet. So if you were in a position where you were going into a deficit and the deficit is causing your metabolism and other aspects that are related to your metabolism, be that your thyroid or your cortisol, these different hormones, it, those things are changing. They're adapting to the lowered calorie intake. That means metabolic adaptation is happening. But the reality is, is that if you start at 2,500 calories and you go into a 2,300 uh, calorie deficit, 200 calories, nothing crazy. Um, you start losing weight and that slows down because metabolic adaptation, metabolic adaptation just happened. You're still overweight. You still have weight to lose. You could drop calories a little bit more safely and you'll still lose weight. So it's metabolic adaptation isn't uh, this crazy detrimental thing. It's not an illness. It's not stopping you from losing more weight. Um, and most people only consider metabolic adaptation when they get to a point where they are stuck. Their calories are super low and they can no longer lose weight. But the reality is metabolic adaptation is a, it's a, it's like a, you know, like an hourglass, you turn around, the sand starts dripping. The second you go into a deficit, boom, metabolic adaptation starts happening and it's just that sand's dripping. It's not happening at this crazy alarming degree, but you start, you know, expending more calories than you're taking in or yeah. you create a bigger deficit, so you're eating less than you're putting out. The clock starts ticking. That's just part of it. So um, just to preface, like it's not anything to worry about. Uh, so it can still happen if you have weight to lose, obviously, but, um, in, in obese individuals, I think more often than not, the case is that, um, individuals are probably in a place, sorry, if you can hear the gang of firefighters, uh, we do have a building cross street from fire, yep. stage, fire station. Um, they will be here right away if the volcano explodes. <laughs> um, so, uh, if you have obese individuals um, and you are taking them through a diet, uh, metabolic adaptations can still happen. However, most of the time, if they're saying that they're, and you just have to be logical here. If I have somebody who is, easy math, 200 pounds, and their ideal body weight for their height is 150 pounds, right? 50 pound weight loss, um, I don't know if I necessarily consider these people obese. Usually when we're talking about obese, we're talking more. But just for easy math, let's say that's what it is. Um, I calculate their deficit to start at 2,000 calories because let's just do easy math here. We're not using any crazy formula. 200 times 10, 2,000 calories. That usually should be a deficit for most people if they're active and so on and so forth. Um, but this person claims that they're only eating 1,300 calories a day, which is very common. Now, if I learned anything from math in high school, which I did flunk, but... I didn't get past algebra. <laughs> However, that's a 700 calorie deficit. 
that they are technically in. Actually, more because technically 2,000 calories would yeah. be a deficit. So it's a 1,000 calorie deficit, let's say. They should probably be losing weight. And if they're not losing weight, it's not because metabolic adaptation is stopping them. It's because they're not accurately tracking their diet, plain and simple. So um, falsely reporting. 100%. Because there is, and there's no percentage of this, so this is complete number. I'm just pulling out my ass. But 1% of people in the entire world have some rare metabolic disorder that would actually cause them to not lose weight while being in that big of a deficit. Um, you know, and, and it's funny because even if you think of like, uh, there's been people, do you know what celiac disease is? I don't. I, I, I definitely heard it before. Okay. But I, so it's basically gluten intolerance to okay. the max degree, yeah. right? So there's been people who claim celiac or um, gluten intolerance yeah. is more common because if you have celiac, you'll, you know, your throat will swell. You'll, you'll be in serious trouble. You know if you're celiac. But people who claim, oh, like I have gluten intolerance or sensitivity, it stopped me from losing weight. Well, technically, when you have an intolerance like that, malnutrition happens, like if you have celiac, stuff like that. So if you actually eat gluten and you start suffering from malnutrition, you actually degrade. So you actually will like lose more you like literally lose more weight more fat you'll actually like flush out more so both good and bad weight um but if you're saying you're not losing weight because of that it's complete false you don't even know the mechanisms of weight loss or gluten intolerance at that point um which is besides the point but the point is is that if you have weight to lose you have weight to lose you know if if you are if you are tracking 2000 calories and that should be a deficit and you're not losing then that's different. So in that same situation, let's say I put them at 2,000 calories. They are definitely eating 2,000 calories and they're not losing. Maybe they are off a little bit, but it's maybe by like 100 calories or so. Try knocking them down to 1,800. Then they start losing weight. They were either just barely inaccurate or they're, they do have some metabolic adaptation. It's causing a little bit, right? Even if somebody has like hypothyroidism, let's say, or Hashimoto's, and we see this like 10 to 15% drop in metabolic rate. Well, that would explain a couple hundred calories. Yeah. But- when somebody reports 12, 1,300 calories, which is common, and they should be losing weight at 2,000, that's where you're like, okay, come on. What are you not tracking? Yeah, so the bigger the, the, the contrast there, the bigger the gap between where they should be losing weight and what they're claiming they're not losing weight at and they are consuming, the bigger that gap, the more likely it is that they're underreporting. Um, the smaller the gap, the more likely that it very well could be metabolic adaptation. And at that point, it's not hard to say, okay, let's chop a couple hundred more calories off and see what happens, you know? Yeah. Totally. I just think that, like you said, the narrower that gap gets, then it's probably more likely. Yeah. And I think a lot of coaches have a tough time calling that out because you never want to tell a client like, hey, like you're lying. Yeah, I think you're full of shit. Like (laughs) that's because or maybe not full of shit, but maybe you're not doing it correctly. 100 percent. But here's the thing. I know I'm being sarcastic, but I think that I say it that way because I think a lot of coaches assume everybody that's the conversation that I have to tell my client I think they're lying. It's like, no, 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 no. We're not saying they're lying. We're saying they fully believe. They're doing it correctly. They're doing it correctly. Yeah. But they're dramatically doing it incorrect, right? Or they're doing it dramatically incorrect. Ask simple questions. 100%. Let me see how you're tracking. Or even better, create a, a meal plan for them for a day. I know technically we're not supposed to create meal plans, but literally create a sample meal plan. Throw the word sample in front of it. You'll be fine. And like literally go, hey, this this day of eating, this sample meal plan for the day equals the amount of calories you should be consuming. So I want you to do this for three days. And if you feel like you're hungrier than normal, then there was probably some inaccuracies going on. They do that. They feel hungry. Guess what? If, if you're hungry, you're in a deficit because you're eating less than you normally are. And if you're eating less than you normally are, you're probably in a calorie deficit. Yeah. Probably going to lose weight. That's why when people are like, I'm dieting, but I'm hungry all the time. What's going on? 
the diet's going on. That's what, you know what I mean? It's Man, good. That made no sense. It's what? I'm dieting, but I'm hungry all the time. Oh, you hear that all the time. Oh. Like, cause people are concerned about biofeedback, right? Like, well, I'm dieting and I'm in a deficit, but like I'm stressed out or like I'm not recovering as well. And like they ask questions like, and you're like, well, yeah, you're not eating as much. So your body doesn't have as much food to recover with. Yeah. Therefore, you're probably going to be sore more often, which means you might have to bring the training down a notch yeah. when that starts happening. But the same thing with hunger. People are like, well, but I'm like hungry all the time. It's like, okay, well, you know, you shouldn't be starving all the time because then you're maybe in too big of a deficit unless that was your goal. But that, that happens. Yeah, right? that indeed means it's working. <laughs> so, but point being is if you put them on that sample meal plan for a few days and they experience that out of nowhere, it's like, okay, well, this just goes to show if you weren't hungry before, it's because you weren't in a deficit. You're hungry now because you are in a deficit and you ate exactly what I wanted you to eat. And you're, well, not in tracking accurately, but you're eating in a deficit accurately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you can ask them, what about this is different than before? You know? I wasn't measuring it this way or I wasn't doing this or I was scanning the wrong barcode or I wasn't even, I wasn't doing this or whatever yeah. it may be. And it's like, okay, well let's find, and this is why some common, yeah, some com kind of common issue that people face. And I think this is why I don't not like flexible dieting. So I think flexible dieting is important, but sometimes people take flexible dieting just too far and it leads to a, a lot of inaccuracies. You know, if you're, if you're eating sure, Chipotle every day because yeah. that's flexible, they don't give a fuck if they're accurate with yeah. their scoop. Yeah. You know, They're not on your journey. No, I, 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 I would agree. I would think that it's probably very, very inaccurate to flexible dieting to an extent. If you're, unless you're, I don't want to say skilled, but educated. Yeah, at it. Well, and and even like, there's so there's there's an acceptable margin of error, in and then there's also things inside of real flexible dieting that people forget what. Because flexible dieting started with people like Alan Aragon, Dr. Joe, both of which we've had on the podcast, Eric Helms, people in these forums and giving advice and people would say like, I'm prepping for a bodybuilding show. Can I have a pear instead of this yeah, yeah, cup yeah. of blueberries? Yeah. And people would say, yeah, if it fits your macros, go for it. There's yeah. nothing special about blueberries. And they would have a pear. And that was being flexible because they were going off the meal plan. And this is before everybody can track macros. They were just on meal plans. That word flexible grew. Exactly. Well, at first it was if it fits your macros, go for it. And then they took the acronym IIFYM and just started running with it. People later created flexible dieting as a way to try to correct that. Yeah. But not a lot of people had that education of that's why flexible dieting was created. But flexible dieting means, you know, like for me this morning, um, I always say this, but I put, I always have ketchup on my eggs. I don't want eggs without ketchup that's flexible dieting that is a processed food it is like a scan ketchup? so I, I am guesstimating technically because i'm scanning the barcode which means that the i'm at the mercy of the label labels can be 25 percent inaccurate right but it's a low sugar ketchup which means that it's what 15 fucking calories so at worst it's 20 calories so if it is a little bit over it's not the end of the world if you're scanning something that's 500 calories and it's 20 to 25 percent off i mean that's what an extra 125 calories potentially yeah so that's a bigger margin of error. So if you have these little things that you're adding in the diet that are easier to cope with the inaccuracy of the label, then that's fine, you know? And I, I have it every single day. So it, even if it is inaccurate, it's the same inaccuracy over time. Yeah, it's cons or consistent. Exactly. And then the other side of it is uh, infrequent margin of error. So I usually, like let's say, so-and-so likes Chipotle. They don't go every day, but once a week on Friday's last day of their work week, they go to Chipotle with their work buddy every day at lunch. 
That's totally fine. It's one day a week. You're going to be kind of inaccurate there. Who fucking cares? Yeah. It's one day of the week. The grand scheme of things, 90% of the week, you're accurate. And that's where I think it can go too far. And then people don't get results because of that. But um, mo- most of the time, I think you're in this situation, you have to educate the client on how to track accurately if they're going to be using macros. Because to me, it's like, this is where macros have the opposite effect and people say that they don't work or they're frustrating or they tried the macro diet and it didn't work for them and it just caused eating problems. Well, if you're inaccurately doing it, then absolutely. You're doing something that's not working and it's causing you to get like hyper-focused on something inaccurately so it's causing less results and more frustration. You're gonna have a really bad look towards that thing. So if you're gonna use it, use it the right way and teach your clients how to use it the right way. And in regards to metabolic adaptation, that clock starts ticking as soon as you go into a deficit. So if they're not actually in a deficit, you don't have to worry about that. But the 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 main take-home point with obese individuals and metabolic adaptation is if they were suffering from a degree of metabolic adaptation that would cause them to stop losing weight, they would be lean already. And that's the big thing to remember. The Minnesota, Minnesota starvation experiment was a study way back, and they did this exactly. They literally put people in a metabolic ward. This is like back in like World War One or two days, like way back. Metabolic ward that controlled everything, put them on a super, super low calorie diet. And these people literally ended up like, it's actually gross if you look at the results. Like they're stick and bone, like they look like they were starving because they were. They wanted to see how far they could push these people, which is crazy. <laughs> I don't know if you can do that anymore. Yeah. But that's what happens. So somebody says, I'm only eating 1,000 calories. Okay, you would look like that. Yeah. If you're really eating 1,000 calories every day and you've been dieting for all uh, the whole year, quote unquote, you would look stick thin like those people in the Minnesota starvation experiment, but you don't, which means that you're not. Yeah. So either you do a couple days a week and you don't the rest of the week, or you're just way off on your diet, which is fine. Let's just correct it. You know, but the reality is, is by the time you get to that level of metabolic adaptation, you don't have much fat to lose, if any at all, because you're at the point where your body's like, like this is as far as I can go. Somebody has 50 plus pounds to lose. They are not there yet. I'm sorry. Totally. So very like blunt and to the point, but I think it's something that coaches need to understand so that they can approach it with clients empathetically with proper education. Like you know it. what I mean? Yep. Cool. All right. We will go to the next question. It comes from anonymous. This one says, Hey Cody, I love the podcast. Can we get Shannon on? If you don't know, Shannon is Cody's wife. It might be cool to hear a perspective of the fitness spouse. And she seems super cool. I've been trying. I've been working on her. Um, I I tried a bunch of times, and she was just not about it. I I think at first when I was trying to get her on, I think she lot, like literally thought like this was a live camera. So she was like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like once you start, there's no fuck ups. Like everything goes out. Now, granted, we don't ever retake anything. Yeah. Like once we go, we just record, and there it goes. But then I explained to her, I was like, hey, the camera's not live. Well, what if I say something that, like, I'm like, well, we could edit it out if it really came down to it. I don't it. have to use the camera. Yeah. And then it was like, well, I don't want Travis just standing there watching us. And I was like, I mean, that's what he does. But, okay, we'll do it at home. Yeah. You know? And then she was like, I don't know. And then we were out at uh, Cannon Beach that one time, and she brought it up and said, I think I want to. And uh, she hasn't brought it up since. But yeah. um, It's like one of those things that you're going to let it, just let it happen. I think I'm going to ask soon, um, especially after the event talking to some of the female entrepreneurs that came, you know, and I think um, just in general, I think it would be good. I think, I think I'm going to do it. I'm going to definitely get her on when she's finally ready to pull the trigger on. I, I really want her to start a, uh, like a decor design yeah. kind of business. Cause yeah. 
she's great with it. She's finally starting to post on her Instagram and get like her, like all the stuff she does around the house and I'm sharing it. Um, she's already redone Cody and Meg's master bedroom. And then they started having her redo their, uh, whole living room space. Nice. Now she's doing his office and then we're going there on Friday cause she's redesigning their gym. Dope. He's like, I'm just going to keep hiring you to do all this stuff. <laughs> and at first she wasn't even charging him. And I was like, you gotta charge something Yeah. to anybody. And then she was like, she made a good point. Like, did you charge people when you first started programming? I was like, well, no, because I was trying to figure out what to do. And she's yeah. like, exactly. But so she knows like, what to do. Now she does. Yeah. yeah. She Well, her whole thing was like, I know what to do for me. And that was the same thing to me. I know how to work out for myself. How do I do this for clients? Yeah, I was like, okay. Point, yeah. Touche. But now I think she's starting to get in the point where she's, I mean, she's helped a family. She's helped. Obviously, we've done a ton of stuff at our houses. Yeah. And then um, some friends in the neighborhood have keep picking her brain stuff. So I think she's at that point where she's going to soon. So um, definitely once we do that. But um, I think it would be good. I think like her and I have gone through enough ups and downs with my, uh, I guess the best way to explain it would be like the entrepreneur's emotional roller coaster. Yeah. You know, because it's like, and that's something that I've actually, uh, there's a really, you would actually like his podcast. Um, have you heard of The Angry Therapist? Really cool. Uh, I heard him on Ed Milet's podcast. Oh, yeah. And I, once I heard him on there, I started looking him up and he is a therapist for couples, but the way he became a therapist was interesting. And then like, while he was a therapist, he met his wife who was also a therapist and both of them agreed to never marry a therapist, but then they ended up and now they wrote a book together. And so she'll come on his podcast sometimes too, but I read their book recently and it was really good. But like, they talk a lot about this with some people who are very hot and cold. And I think most entrepreneurs are that way. Um, there's another book called uh, hypomaniac or hypomania. And it basically talks about this. Most entrepreneurs have, uh, not all, but a lot of entrepreneurs have what's called hypomania. I don't know if I have it, but this is a, uh, uh, it's in the this, numbers would say, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's in the, uh, in the family of bipolar disorder mm-hmm. and bipolar disorder is obviously way more severe, Yeah, but hypomania is this, like you do go through like hot and cold emotions and you also have like an abnormal amount of self-belief and confidence, which is obviously, um, to the point where it's kind of ignorant. Like they talk about like even, uh, was it Columbus uh, or Napoleon or something? I don't know. Whoever, like, the first person to apparently go over the ocean. and But, like, there's, like, story and, and written word of him in, on that side of the pond basically claiming that there's this land and that he wants to discover oh, everything. Everybody's yeah, like, yeah, you're yeah. fucking insane. Yeah. Which, to the time, is like, why would there be? And he had just this weird thing. And actually the stuff, the crazy part is if you go back in history, he had, like, 20 different ideas that he went public with that were complete bullshit but he was on this mission to discover and invent and create something and it just happened to finally land when that theory became the one that actually was true Mm. but he was known as kind of crazy because he had all these different ideas that he tried to come about that just failed but point being is like they have this uh, a lot of entrepreneurs and people have this hypomania where you you do have these hot and cold emotions like that and I know me and Shannon have gone through that plenty of times to where it's hard to work through as a wife, I'm sure. And it's also hard as a husband, it's hard for me to explain because, you know, your logical brain and emotional brain can't like operate properly. Like you're just all emotion sometimes and all logic sometimes. And it, it's weird. Um, That's a hot cold. Yeah. It, it's in, in, until I like started being able to acknowledge and admit it, I think that's when like her and I were able to handle it easier. Cause I could be like, totally understand how this would be extremely difficult to deal with. Um, 
but that would I like I think now that we're in a place where we get it more, I think it would be cool to get her on the podcast. Totally. And just kind of talk about that. I think everybody sees entrepreneurship as like a I don't know, like a you know, like there's the meme of online coach on the beach with a Mai Tai email clients. Oh, like yeah, they kinda yeah, assume yeah, yeah. like entrepreneurship is like there's that saying what like uh became an entrepreneur uh to never work a nine to five and now I work five or there's a nine set. to nine or something. Yeah, it's something yeah. stupid. It's just yeah. like this, like I know what you're talking about. And then you still work a nine to five or something like yeah. that. To like to get out of my nine to five and now I just work a nine to five or something like that because it just doesn't stop. But yeah. So soon enough. Hopefully. Do you think of uh Robert Bird? No, I don't even know who that is. Oh, that's the guy that said there was like land over there. Who's Christopher Columbus? What dude sailed the seven seas or some shit? <laughs> Isn't that him? I think that's from like a children's song, but about seven seas. What are the seven seas? Do you count the oceans as the seas? Yes. Okay. I thought there was a difference between a sea and an ocean. I believe there is. A sea is a smaller you're right, body. You're right. You're right. You're right. But anyway, all right. Let's move on to the maybe next. Maybe Robert Bird was the first person that Christopher Columbus jacked him. That was the idea. Maybe. Actually, I've heard rumor of Christopher Columbus being full of shit, and it's actually. <laughs> I'm just saying. Is that what? Uh, God, I'm going to expose my lack of paying attention in high school, or any school. Um, Thanksgiving. Yeah. Is he the one? I think. Is that is he yeah. supposed to be? Thing? Yes. Yeah. Is that him? Fuck, man. I guess I didn't pay attention <laughs> either. Oh, my God. That stuff doesn't help us in life, let's yeah. be honest. Like, yeah, dude. I was. I just know I eat turkey. Was... All right, cool. Uh, we got the next one coming from Kerry Huang. Real quick, have you seen Drunken History? No. Oh, my God, bro. Drunken History? Watch it. It's hilarious. It's, it used to be a Comedy Central show. Okay. So they basically would take comedians. Um, on both ends, and one comedian would have to explain historical events to the other comedians or to the camera guy. Okay. Drunk. Okay. So they would like completely like go like Will Ferrell explaining this situation, but he just takes it on a detour because he's drunk and yeah. he's fucking Will Ferrell. <laughs> and then they would like illustrate it with like cartoon and animation of what he's claiming happened. Dude, it's hilarious. Wow. And there's some like pretty well known people on it. Yeah. It is fucking hilarious. Okay, um, back on track. We will get uh, our next one comes from Carrie Wong, and it says, I've asked y'all a million questions before, and I appreciate your guys' answers. I'm really struggling with depression and food. I know in my mind that I'm overeating, and logically I know overeating keeping me from losing weight, which, quote-unquote, which I desperately need to lose. Why am I struggling so much? Tips or advice on depression and food is much appreciated. So a few things. Uh, number one, um, I can't speak too much on depression because technically I'm not, that's not my role. Um, like I'm not allowed to prescribe advice on that, but I'm going to give my opinion. Um, and I have a few different opinions. Um, I have an opinion that would be advice to you for two different reasons. Number one, to you or anybody else listening to this podcast that falls in the same category, but if you're experiencing depression, overwhelm, stress, anxiety, anything like that, and you're trying to pursue goals, get a coach. Yeah, plain and simple. I mean, results in research show 95% increase in success rate if you have a coach holding you accountable. So that doesn't even include the plan, right? Because you could have a coach with a shitty plan and you're more likely to be successful because you have a plan and you have a coach holding you accountable of doing it. 
And those things really do matter. And the thing about stress, overwhelm, depression, so on and so forth, whether it's directly because of your body or your food or it's because of something completely unrelated, no matter what, research also proves this. If you are consistently exercising, if you are consistently getting outside, if you are consistently creating space and practicing mindfulness like meditation, journaling, stuff like that, um, if you're getting more sleep, if you are eating healthy food, less processed food, following a good diet, so on and so forth, not getting too much fat in the diet, specifically like trans fat, stuff like that. All of those things individually and especially combined lead to a better neurotransmitter, neurochemical uh, cascade of events, you could say, in your brain that lead to less depression, period. Like people, and, and this is where like I'm not allowed to claim this, but I'm speaking hypothetically here. There's plenty of people who have gotten off of medications for those things because they are consistently practicing healthy habits, eating, and training, right? And training isn't just strength training, even though that's what I'm biased to. I'm talking yoga. I'm talking hiking. I'm talking tennis, anything. Activity improves us, right? And I've said this before, and I've gotten some flack from it from people who don't agree, and uh, I could care less, to be honest with you, because I think that they are approaching it with a Band-Aid solution. But if you look in history, as every decade that passes, we have more stress, more depression, more rates of depression, anxiety, and more rates of suicide. Yet we are less active. We are lazier. We work less hard. We have more automation, more technology, more AI, more things being done for us. It's like the more we have to do shit for ourselves, the more we work, the more minimalism, which I'll admit, I have technology going all the time. So I'm not like a minimalist by any means. Um, and there's like that, there's a book, there's a documentary as well on like minimal or digital minimalism or something like that. I'm not going to be become Amish and remove all this stuff out of my life. I just can't, I, I don't want to, I don't, especially cause I run a business around it, but there is a lot of reasons to believe that if you get outside more, if you disconnect more, if you train more, if you work hard for something that's meaningful, you will be less likely to suffer with depression. I fucking guarantee it. And history doesn't tell lies, right? Like it's, it's, I mean, it's written there in history. So um, I'm not trying to yell at you, Carrie, but <laughs> I, I think people need to hear that because it's important. If you can't get the ball rolling, get a coach. So you are accountable of taking action and then the action becomes a snowball and you will just keep growing because of it. And you will eliminate all those negative things because you are consistently training and following a proper nutrition protocol and being held accountable by something who cares. And you're having empathetic conversations every single week. You know, like those things matter. So I would give that advice to anybody who is struggling with the same issue or anybody who consistently asks questions. Cause that's what you said. Like I ask questions all the time and you guys can ask as many questions as you want, but you know, I've talked to some buddies in the industry about this too. We all have like all of us who are like influencer has like a bad rep to it typically, but coaches of influence online, we all have those people who they DM us or ask us questions on the podcast or send emails repetitively. Yeah. They never want to commit to coaching, but they're always asking questions. And sometimes I just want to get a megaphone and be like, you would be perfect for coaching. You're so interested in the information. You clearly want results, but you're not committing. And you not committing is stopping you from ever achieving the results that you're really after. The whole reason why you keep emailing me or keep DMing me, you know what I mean? Like, and I love it. Keep emailing, keep DMing, keep asking questions. It creates content for us and we get engagement. We love it and it helps us reach more people. And I'm going to always answer your questions. But at a certain point, I think people just need to accept that you got to invest in your health. Yep. You know what I mean? So 
that's the number one thing. I mean, to be honest with you, if you're listening to this podcast, there's not much else I can say to help you with this because the reality is, is most of the things that would help from a food perspective, it's, I mean, it's all the basic shit, eat whole food, train, get outside, like all the stuff I just said, you know, that's, that's a given that's obvious based on this podcast. So go do the basic stuff and just do it consistently. But if that's not working and you keep falling off it, you need accountability. Like that's the biggest thing. Um, and I can't stress that enough. I think, uh, I think that, and, and one big thing I think is, is stopping a lot of people from achieving results or, or getting out of moods. I mean, even going back to the whole conversation of me being hot and cold emotionally in my life, a, a big thing that helped me stop doing that or not even stop, but get back <laughs> once I, like, once I shift, I kind of bring myself back is, is like, it's pattern recognition. So it's realizing what you're doing and then talking to yourself positively, like positive self-talk is very underrated because going back to like the willpower podcast we did in, in research, individuals have more willpower, willpower and discipline, just simply tell themselves they have more willpower and discipline. Yeah. So I can guarantee the people who get the best results are the people who keep telling themselves they're going to get the best results. The people who are most successful are the people who have always told themselves they're going to be the most successful. You know what I mean? Like the more you tell yourself something, the more it becomes possible. Right. And, and this is, there's actually research on this. If you haven't listened to the podcast we did with Dr. Caroline Leaf, unbelievable episode. It was a while back, um, at least a hundred episodes ago, but I asked her about this because I said, what is it like, what's the relevance scientifically speaking? Cause she's a researcher and a psychologist. I said, well, what's the relevance of speaking it into the universe? That's kind of what this is. Right. And she said, you're not literally like, you don't just speak something and it becomes true. But when you speak something into the universe, especially repetitively, your habits, your environment, your actions, your reactions, your thought processes, everything you do day to day, it actually just slightly changes to be more aligned with what you were speaking into the universe, quote unquote, which makes a lot of sense because whether you realize it or not, it's not luck. When you keep saying you're going to become X, Y, Z over and over and over again, all the things you do are a reflection of that subconsciously. You start acting more aligned with that individual, right? But it does start with speaking in the universe. So if you're suffering with these things, the first thing is literally speaking in the universe that you're not going to suffer with these things anymore. Yep. You are going to change. You are going to work out. You are going to hire a coach. You are going to have accountability. You are going to eat better. You're going to get outside more, whatever it is. Like those things matter a lot. And I think people dramatically under undervalue them, Amen. you know? So I agree. That's good, man. And uh, I will link the, I, <laughs> I will link, link the Caroline Leaf episode in there. Yep. That's great. All right, cool. Uh, we will go on to the next one, and is from Jamie Milliman. Says hi, I'm a longtime listener and love how easy your podcasts are to listen to. To preface, I've been seriously lifting for about 12 years. Uh, exercise science major completed at 21, and I'm now 33. I was a firefighter, and now I'm going to school for nursing. I went from extremely active plus admittedly overdoing cardio to super sedentary for school. I still do one to two hours of steady-state cardio a day and lift four times a week, but I've often gotten so fluffy. I I have tracked calorie for years, so I even bumped them down to 1,200. This isn't even sustainable, and I don't know what else I can do. Just accept the season of life. Or do you think I sh- my body will adjust? Um, I think that it it depends on a few things. Um, first and foremost, it depends on the uh, 
it's so hard. Like the last thing I want to say is like, yeah, it's a season of life. Give up. You know, like that's always tough. But I think that it's important to remember that there are different seasons of life. And I think that it's okay to have a season of life that is maintenance. You know, um, the reality is, is that if you were over training via cardio, especially cardio, if you were overdoing it with cardio and you were under eating and you're still probably barely eating enough, if, if at most, and on top of that, your lifestyle got extremely sedentary because of work, school, different factors that you kind of explained. you need a period of time to repair, recover, and heal. Yeah. Plain and simple. So the problem is if you go from being the energizer bunny and then you go to a sedentary lifestyle and you try to continue eating the same, obviously you're going to gain weight. But if you can slowly transition from one phase to another, like that's the healthiest thing. That's the smartest thing to do. But I can tell you this, like your body's not going to respond well if you don't get it to a healthy place first. So if it's in a place where it's not healthy yet, your your metabolism's in a place where it's not responsive, it's not doing what you want it to do, or it's not agreeing with your decisions for trying to lose more weight or whatever it may be, you're going to be spinning your wheels. And I would advise that you stop spinning your wheels by just taking a period of time. Like this can be the season of life of maintenance. Focus on building some strength. Focus on your job. Focus on productivity. Focus on personal development just chill for a bit, you know, and then come back to a deficit months down the road and your body will respond way better for it. Otherwise, and this is like, it's hard because I I have empathy for you. Like I've worked with a lot of people in this position. It's hard when I have to work with somebody and I have to take them through. I've taken many people through this. Jessica, uh, WWE ref, perfect example of this. She came on board and 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 I want coaches to really listen to this because this is extremely important because... This is a, the perfect example of staying true to what is right in coaching and being aligned with your principles as a coach. WWE referee, the first female referee to ever uh, do uh, the, the main WrestleMania. WrestleMania, smack all the big events, right? She's on TV more than any other referee, like high profile client, great opportunity to work with somebody, you know, as well as the other WWE people I get to work with. And she comes to me, she wants to get leaner, so on and so forth. And I go, cool, I think we're probably going to have to reverse diet and stay at maintenance for quite a while. And I kept her there for a year. Damn. Like, that is literally giving somebody who's on TV exactly what they don't want. You know? Luckily, and I, and I will say, like, this wasn't just me, like, being stone cold and being like, this is what it, you know. I had a good conversation with her, and I, and I could read her. She was committed to the long haul. She was determined she was ready and she was willing to do that work because she had the right mindset you know so it's much easier to have that conversation when the client has the right mindset but to nonetheless I didn't cave like I'm like okay this is gonna be hard but this is what you need to hear she did that now she's in a really good place she's leaner than she's ever been she has more muscle better performance she's not her calories are higher than ever been and now we're actually uh doing a mini cut again for a photo shoot for a work promotional thing that we're, we're after so but perfect example, and I'm not telling this person here that you need to wait a year, but there's there's points in time in life where you have to take a step back and go, okay, I could keep just beating my head against the wall and try to like white knuckle through this. Maybe I'll break through, or maybe I'll just continue spinning my wheels for the next three, four, five, six months, or I could focus on recovery, not worry so much about the scale, focus on health, focus on formats for three, four, five, six months, and then jump into a deficit and it'll work. Yeah. But if you go the other route and try to white knuckle it and it doesn't work, 
you'll be in a worse spot. Exactly. And then in three, four, five, six months, when you finally realize it, you, you still won't be able to diet, you know, because you didn't take that time to, to heal. Yeah. <clears throat> but stuff. But I, I think that's, that's the answer you need to hear, unfortunately. Totally. All right, cool. We got one more here. Uh, it's from Becca Becker Fit. Um, she says, because I'm a new in my business, how do I figure out what to implement first when there's so much that could be implemented? So this one's tough. Um, I posted on my Instagram because somebody said, can, can we ask you entrepreneurship questions? I said, sure. And I put another box. And so we might get some of these pulled in. But I grabbed that one because it was a good one. I think that... It's, I'm not going to give you like, all you know, my experience might be different than most people because, um, I didn't make a career change. So I think it's different if you make a career change or if you go from being a trainer to an online coach, you know, because I was a trainer. So I knew eventually I'm going to shift and that meant I wanted to create a lot of content. So I kind of already had a foundation and a vault of content in a, uh, a brand established for myself so that when I did build this, it was there, right? And I could just build off of that. But a lot of people, if they're making a career change, you got to start there, you know? And I think, so like, how do you know what first steps to take? I think you have to list out all of the steps. And then I think you should... Focus on what has, like, think of, like, risk versus reward ratios. Think of fast ROIs, stuff like that, because you need a fast ROI at the beginning because you need to be able to stay afloat. Um, you also need to think about the the biggest long-term ROI because the ROI long-term is what allows you to continue growing and staying afloat long-term. So there's a lot of different elements here. Um, but also you have to think of, like, time. So, like, what I would do in your situation Becca, is I would list out everything and then I would have two lists. I would have a list of the uh, big rocks and little rocks, right? The like the Goliaths, which are like, these are like the beasts I have to conquer. And then you have the little things that are like, I can check these off week by week. You focus on one big Goliath project at a time while you cross off these little ones every week. So for example, I need to develop a website for my brand. That's a Goliath. That's a big project. You're not going to do that in a week. You got to find a designer. You got to get a name for your website. If you're doing it yourself, you're going to have to create it. Then you got to have content. Then you have to have different pages. Like there's a lot of that goes involved. Um, if you are brand, brand new and you don't even have an LLC or a bank account for your business, stuff like that, those are like little things. You can do that in a day. Sign up, boom, done. Uh, bank account, boom, done. Set up a meeting at the bank. You know, like little things like that you can knock out. Um, Instagram posts. Every week you're doing that, you're checking them off. So there's like these little things and then these big projects. And it's just, you have to just align them with your goal. You know, like I think everybody will have different opinions. So what I would say is look at a business you want to emulate and then figure out what they did first or what they prioritize most. Um, I think like, I will tell you what my, I mean, she knows what my opinion was because she was here, but I think every online coach should have a really well-established website, you know, especially if you look at the trend of social media patterns, like I've actually, uh, um, I gotta admit John Romanello is the one that told me this, but the, like, if you look at the trend of when a new social media MySpace pops up their lifespan, like how long they last before they fade away, it's like literally reoccurring with every social media pattern, like 
a new in, uh, social media pops up. It gets really a lot of interest and it grows, grows, grows. It peaks. It holds that peak for a certain amount of time. And then it actually kind of slowly fades away. Right. We saw it with Facebook. Facebook is slowly fading away. It's kind of already faded away. You know, TikTok has been in this growth phase. It's going to reach its peak soon and then it's going to stay at that peak. But right now it's in that phase where if it's real or not, we don't know. But you can jump on TikTok and grow fast. Yep. Right. They're in that phase. And then they're going to go, okay, we have enough people. Now we're going to fuck up the algorithm and make people pay for, for likes and views and followers and shit like that. Cause you got to pay ads and stuff just like Instagram did. Yeah. And then people are only going to take that for so long before the next thing pops up. Like it's just, it's inevitable. Recurring cycle. Yeah. In my opinion is to go with the thing that is proven to never go away. And that is Google. And that means blog. And in my opinion, if you're a great coach and you're online and you don't have a blog, I don't think that you're you don't have as much knowledge as you should because you should be able to write high quality blogs. And if you can't write blogs, you should be able to film a video or record a podcast in depth, right? Um, or you should be associated with a company that does because SEO ain't going anywhere. You know, it's just, it's it's not. And even the people, even the, the biggest businesses who utilize social media, they will tell you the same exact fucking thing. So uh, unfortunately, I mean, I guess fortunately for us, yeah. not that many people think about this stuff, but um Nonetheless, like if you were to ask me, I would say, well, the biggest Goliath, the first thing is get a website, get a brand, start working on that. Like if you don't have a brand, if you don't have a message, then you don't know who you're speaking to. You don't know how you're speaking to them. You don't know, uh, people don't know where they can find you. Like you a hub. Uh, your, that's your hub. And an algorithm on a social media platform won't change that. You can have a great social media pl- platform and following and profile. It's great. But if that crashes, if you say the wrong thing and they decide they don't want you on their platform, where is your site, where's your hub, where's your home base? You know what I mean? Like you got to have that. Yep. So, um, that would be my opinion to start building the brand itself. And that means the site, the, the message, the colors, the theme, the name, you know what I mean? Your niche client, who you work with, like everything, everything. what you do, like your brand is, is the hub. Yeah. So it's your foundation. So cool. Um, dope. Great Q&A. Uh, thank you for your questions, guys. Again, that link is in the description if you want to ask us anything, as well as our sponsors for this podcast. That is giantlifting.com. You can click the link directly in the description. You can use TCM10 for 10% off and firstform.com slash method. We appreciate you guys, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>